Welcome to the Indisposable Podcast, produced by Upstream. I'm your host, Brooking Gatewood. And I'm your co-host, Matt Prindeville. Thanks for joining for another episode celebrating solutions to plastic pollution. Hey, what's up, solutioneers? Hopefully by now you've heard that the inaugural National Reuse Awards, aka the Reusies, are coming up on September 30th, presented by Upstream and Closed Loop Partners. The votes are in, so now join us at the virtual event to find out who will win Most Innovative Reuse Company, Activist of the Year, Most Impactful Community Leadership, and Fan Favorite Reuse Company. Get your ticket today for just $25. TV personality and science communicator Danny Washington will host an exciting program which will include a panel of experts talking about how we make our vision for a reusable circular economy a reality, an exclusive musical performance from Corey Withers, daughter of the late Bill Withers, many chances to win amazing prizes throughout the show, access to the official Reusey's digital program with exclusive offers and discounts to a variety of reuse businesses. Oh, and not to mention, you'll be the first to find out who the award winners are. So head over to thereusies.org. That's T-H-E-R-E-U-S-I-E-S dot org to get your ticket and secure your virtual front row seat at the biggest event for the reuse movement this fall. One more time, go to thereusies.org to join us on September 30th. Dress up, grab a cocktail, take a break from the headlines, and get inspired. Hope to see you there. All right, welcome back, everybody. I am here today with Ben Von Wong, an artist whose mission is to help make positive impact unforgettable, and who, lucky for us in the reuse movement, is focused in part on the issue of plastic pollution and is serving as a judge for the Reusies, the first ever national reuse awards coming up on September 30th. Finalists have been announced, and voting is live at www.thereusies.org. Check it out to learn more about this really awesome opportunity to amplify the good work happening right now to build the world we all want to see, a world without waste. And now I am so excited to talk with Ben today, who is an artist, activist, and photographer, best known for his environmental art installations and photography tackling issues around waste, from ocean plastics to e-waste to fast fashion and more. He's also a motivational speaker, and uh, he couples his installation and photography skills with collaborations and campaigns to inspire action on pressing social issues. So I'm not going to try to describe all of the amazing work that he does, but definitely check out his website, vonwong.com. Did I get that right? vonwong.com would be the website, and unforgettablelabs.com would be some case studies. Yeah, I had a lot of fun prepping for this one, and so much, his work is so visual, so I do recommend as you're listening, go check him out. The photography is amazing, and it'll be really fun to talk more, Ben, about the story behind these pieces of work today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I really loved your intro. I'm going to need to get it from you because I really <laughs> suck at describing what I do, and I think you did a fantastic job there. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thanks. It's always nice to have somebody else do it, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I always like to start with the question of why did this topic get into your heart? What had you decide to put so much of your energy into focusing on plastic pollution? I know it's not the only issue you cover, but you've recently especially done a lot of amazing installation pieces to raise awareness on this issue. So what's the backstory? Backstory was just that I wanted to use my art to make a difference in the world. I just wanted to do something meaningful. And the first project that I decided to tackle on this project was totally haphazard. Um, long story short, I was in Montreal for my sister's wedding 
and my mom discovered a mermaid tail designer. And I was like, oh, what a cool mermaid tail. I want to do a project around this, but I want it to have meaning and purpose behind it. And so I started looking into, well, what issues do the ocean, does the ocean have? And this was right around the time where the Great Pacific Garbage Patch was just getting a lot of traction, like it had hit mainstream, quote unquote. And I suppose it was not the first time I had heard about it, but it was the first time I started paying attention to it. And when I started reading into it, I started realizing, oh, this is a perfect cause to um, raise awareness for. And so I decided to collect uh, 10,000 plastic bottles and use it as a metaphor for the plastic ocean that was happening. And I think as part of creating art projects and trying to explain why it is that what you're doing is important and relevant, you need to do a bunch of research, you need to do a bunch of homework. And so you go from sort of um, seeing something to really looking deeper into it. And mm -hmm. you start realizing how big the problems are. And I think as with most issues, once you start paying attention, it's really hard to like turn away and disengage from it. Uh, and so fast forward a couple years, I've now had the opportunity to work on many issues from, uh, from microplastics to straws to cups. And, and most recently, I, I'm going to be launching a campaign in October that's focused specifically on bringing the phrase, turn off the plastic tap to life in image. Uh, that I'm really excited about. Awesome. Yeah, well, I love to talk. I was having trouble selecting one to start with, but I think the Straw Apocalypse project is probably a fun one to start with. You got a Guinness World Record for it, for, um, what was it, the largest supported art installation made from plastic drinking straws. And the images that came out of it are just incredible. So tell us a little bit about that project. And I'm especially interested too, um, often when people see these art pieces, they think, you know, it's just such a scale. It's a lot of straws, a lot of work, a lot of sculpture construction. So I'd love to hear a little bit about the behind the scenes and what's it really like putting together a piece like that? How long does it take? How many people are involved? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I think, I guess my style has always been to do things like I like to leverage shock and awe as the primary emotion when people discover my work. Uh, the reason is that I think when people are kind of shocked or surprised by something, they become curious. And once they're curious, now you have the opportunity to invite them into a conversation that they may not have been interested in in the first place, right? If you if you if they want to know what they're looking at, then you can talk about what it is, how you did it, and most importantly, why. And so I see my work sort of on as a gateway drug to discovering these different issues. So when a nonprofit reached out to me, uh, this lady called Julia Mesner from Zero Waste Saigon, she's like, I love your work. What can I do to bring you to Vietnam? And I was like, well, it's not really like a what. Like, I, I just need materials to work with. And, and I can't go out and buy stuff. And so I would need to collect a bunch of stuff and material in order to, to create something. And she's like, okay, cool. But just like, just tell, give me an example of what you might need. I'm like, like just a lot of anything. And she's like, but like what specifically, give me a specific. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I think straws are pretty popular topic right now. It's, I think this was right around the time where the turtle with the straw, if its nose had just gotten discovered. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't know if you could collect like a hundred thousand straws, then I'm sure I could find a way to do something creative. And, um, and she just said like, done. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Like in a week, I'm going to have a website up and running. Do you mind if I like look for sponsors? Do you mind if I do this? And I was just like, oh, this girl is really like a go-getter and she really, really wants me here. And I think with all of my projects, there's always at least one person like that. Like there's always one person that's deeply embedded in the community that mm -hmm. is willing to put in the, the groundwork in order to kind of make 
a project like this possible. It's not just coming up with the idea, but also being able to have the local community connections um, to, to pull this together. Like mm -hmm. she organized cleanups all across Vietnam, had them all shipped to her nonprofit down in Saigon um, and, and stored them clean, like helped us clean them, built their, help us build the relationships with the schools that gave us the place where we were then washing and sorting and organizing them, uh, helped find the sponsor, which ended up being Starbucks who paid for it, uh, helped us broker the deal with the mall, which, which is where it was displayed. Um, and then of course I had to come up with the, the actual idea, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to create? How is it going to look? How are we going to tell that story? And so in this case, you know, we hear the statistic that by the year 2050, there'll be more plastic than fish in the sea. And it took me a while to come to this idea, but I thought, well, I like to steal metaphors from popular culture because I think it creates a sense of familiarity that people can kind of latch onto. So in this case, I decided to steal the idea of Moses crossing the Red Sea and having this, the oceans part. And I was like, well, if this happened in the future and we didn't do anything and this, the whole ocean was filled with trash, then we just have like a plastic sea parting, the parting of the plastic sea. And so that ended up being the, the, the basis for the sculpture that we ended up creating um, where we tried to illustrate what it would be like if, you know, if we did nothing. And, and with an object like straws, so I know that straws represent a very small percentage of the plastic's in the ocean. However, what it also does represent is how small actions can really add up, right? You might not think of a straw as something big, but when you see 168,000 of them together, you're like, whoa, that is a lot of straws. But represented at like a population level scale, right? Like if a, if, if a billion people said yes to a straw every single day, um, 168,000 is actually nothing. And so that's kind of the hope, the, the thought and the provocation that I was hoping to create with this, this set. But we did end up calling the, the campaign Strawpocalypse. And I just think like, so I always try to buy like a domain name, right? So this one was strawpocalypse.com. So if you go to strawpocalypse.com, you can go and see and learn more. Um, with, the, with the mermaids on 10,000 plastic bottles, I think I called it mermaids hate plastic. So I had mermaidshateplastic.com. And just things that are really easy to remember and easy to spread. I think projects kind of require this sort of backbone for people to uh, connect with it and for things to spread. Uh, very often, I feel like artists don't take the time to think about how are people going to talk about the work that they've created. And so they end up putting all their time and energy and effort into creating the thing without thinking of how it's going to spread after. Yeah. And I think the best piece of art, if it's just kept in a closet, if people never discover it, then it doesn't have the opportunity to make a difference. Um, and so I try to do both. Yeah. You have, seem to have a special skill with that. And, you know, one of the things that you're known for is you've put together some campaigns that have raised tons of money and, and that campaign side of the art project you're especially good at. What is that just instinct for you? How did you figure out how that works? Because a lot of people really do struggle in that space, as you said. I think it was just slowly. Like when I first started doing photography, I was just taking pictures all the time. You know, I, I, I didn't bother about schedule. I was just taking a picture, posting it, trying to get likes, just like everyone on Facebook. Um, and, and over time, as I started getting published from time to time, I realized that people would publish you if your photos had a story, right? So I started blogging and I started explaining my lighting setups and I started explaining how I did things. And suddenly all these photography blogs would now pick me up because there was a story to share. And then I realized that if I had a video that documented 
how I did it, if I talked through the process, now it had an even greater chance of spreading because now there was a better story to share. And so then every project I started doing started having a video. Um, and I think projects like this just, like I just started adding more and more layers to my campaigns, um, which really slows down the creative process because now you're spending all your time thinking about how it's going to spread, who is going to cover it. You have to do press releases. You have to do outreach. You have to build partnerships with different pages that have the followings. So it's not exactly intuitive, nor is it really exciting. But for me, especially when I became an activist, it became even more important that the work that I created would actually get shared around because otherwise, why go through all the time, energy, and effort to create something if it's not actually going to bring about change? I'm not trying to do something just to make myself feel good. I'm trying to do something that actually move the needle. And so putting the time, energy, and effort to make sure that the art is in a position where it can move the needle, I think it's something that I try to do. Now, that being said, how do you measure the impact of art? I don't know, right? So, so do views, does awareness equal change? Not really. So how do you judge the success or failure of your campaign? I think that's where it becomes a little bit vaguer because the difference between a good campaign versus good art versus what you're measuring, you know, all this is quite nebulous. And I don't know if there's a clear answer to it. Well, back to what you were starting with and the power of story. One of the questions I wanted to ask you is you probably, you know, your stuff is out there at the millions level in the world at this point. And so you probably get some stories back of impact. And I'm curious if there's any of those that come to mind that you might want to share about what you've heard about how your pieces of art have changed lives or, or, or the culture that we're trying to shift here. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe one story that happened during the pandemic. So the pandemic was pretty rough for me and I lost basically all the projects that I was working on because my work is basically in the experiential space. Um, and I had tried doing a couple online collaborations and it turns out that I'm really not that good at doing online collaborations. I'm a lot more of an in-person kind of kind of dude. And so that, that whole year, year and a half was just a time frame where I was like, man, I'm so useless. Like I, I, I want to help the world clearly needs a lot of help, but I don't know how. And, and then one day I got this Google alert from in my, in my inbox, uh, from vice. So I, I have Google alert set up whenever my name is found on the internet, <laughs> it'll send me a notification. And I'm like, I haven't been covered by vice recently. Um, why am I getting this notification? So I click on it and it's about this entrepreneur all the way in Wuhan, China, who started a company that's making clothing out of recycled bottles and, and she's hired eight people. I was like, okay, that's interesting. What does that have to do with me? And, I, and I'm reading through and she, she credited one of the reasons why she decided to quit her day job and start this was the photo series that I took where I put a mermaid on 10,000 plastic bottles. Like this is a series that is five or six years old. And I think at that moment was when I started to realize that, you know, the, the power of the artist is also in its timelessness, right? Mm -hmm. um, for someone who's never seen it before, it is as new as the first day it was ever created. And as long as a story is relevant to an issue that is still present, which it is and probably will be for the next couple of decades, it can continue to have an impact and continue to influence people and continue to affect them. Um, and so I do think that there is a power to the art um, and, and of course, I hear from teachers all the time how they use my work to 
get students curious because it is a completely different approach than the standard documentaries that you might be showing in order to get people interested. Um, so I don't know how much good my work is doing. Like I can't quantify it, but the qualitative feedback that I get is, is definitely there. Um, and if I do talks about it, or if, if I watch someone watching my content, like you can see the reactions in them, but it's, it's just really hard, I think, to know um, because those ripples that you create are all invisible. Mm. You know, another thing that comes to mind to me, just having really looked at your work a lot and preparing for this interview is, you know, for those of us who do work on the side of things where we're looking at policy and there's a lot of documents and computer time or people working on building a business, there's something about having the sort of deeper why you're doing the work reflected back in a beautiful, artful way that I think is motivating. So for those who are dedicating a lot of time to the kind of nitty gritty, not so pretty version of, of trying to make this change, it's, it's really like a beautiful support to have art, you know, and Keb Mo, who's written, who's written some songs about plastic pollution. It makes you feel like you're part of something bigger and, and your part is a lot cooler <laughs> and more interesting than maybe the policy or some of the other pieces that folks are working so hard at every day. But I think it's a big contribution in that way too. Thank you. No, that's, that's great. I mean, I, I personally wish that we saw more intersectional collaborations where policymakers work with artists that work with corporations. Um, I think this sort of being able to borrow from different domains is what makes things more interesting because they become more unexpected um, and they bring a new diversity of perspective to the entire issue. And I think there's a lot to be learned from every party involved. Um, I think artists are kind of the perfect translator because they're sort of taking things from one context and moving it into another space. Um, not everyone is obviously suited to play that role, but but those who are, who are actively trying to uh, design interesting communication strategies, I think have a lot of power to help bridge the divide between different worlds. You know, I want to talk about another one of your projects that caught my attention, the e-waste work you did with Dell. And there's these images of these models and these beautiful, I think it was body paint that looks like a microchip inside a computer and they're standing in a, in a sea of computers. And I'd love you to just share a little bit about that one. And, you know, that's another awareness raiser. I, I was surprised it was 142,000 computers are thrown away in the U S a day and e-waste is another huge issue. So just give us a little backstory about that and what was interesting with that project. So the way that project came to life is I was speaking at South by Southwest on a stage about the work that I did. And after my talk, uh, someone in the sustainability at division at Dell came up to me and said like, Hey, really loved your work with plastics. Have you ever done anything with electronic waste? And I was like, what is e-waste? Tell me more. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the fun thing about being an artist in the social impact space is that people will approach you with new problems that need solving. Um, and, and so basically she wanted me to do something similar to what I had done with plastics, but in the e-waste space. And, um, and the first question that I had, I suppose, was like, well, what materials do I get to play with? And so it turns out that Dell is actually the largest electronic waste recycler in the world. They've been doing it for the longest amount of time. Um, but, you know, a press release every year, it gets kind of boring. So they, they're looking for different ways to communicate um, what it is they do, why it's important. And they wanted to draw new people into the conversations, but they didn't necessarily have a very specific idea of what they wanted it to look like. They just said it needed to be 
future positive and it needed to be cool <laughs> and exciting. So, you know, that's kind of the best brief you can hope for as an artist is just do something cool. And they gave me the specific materials that they wanted me to highlight that they were currently focused on upcycling within their own products. And so those were laptops, um, circuitry, as well as keyboards. And so that ended up being the basic building blocks for each one of our projects. Now, with every visual that I created, like I said, I, I love to find different metaphors to inform the creatives. The, the sense of familiarity is one that people get. So even though they're seeing something that looks new um, because they've never seen it in that remixed version before, there is a familiarity to it. I think music also does this very often. There'll be these familiar beats, these familiar melodies that they kind of integrate and that just makes it more popular. And so in my case, like I had this one shot made out of a couple hundred laptops that we that we used and that one was inspired by the opening scene of Blade Runner 2049 it's like a solar farm ar arranged in this kind of like vortex array and I was like oh I'm just gonna like borrow that um, my character is uh in these big bold black and white lines very similar to Tron so I like borrowed that um <laughs> for the other installations uh like I created a portal um just like every other portal that you might see in sci-fi. I, I, I borrowed the Hadron Collider from CERN, just looking at the geometry of how their panels were set up. And I was like, oh, I'm going to borrow that. And then you just kind of take all these different things and you combine them together to create a series that is really different. I think what was really fun about that project, ultimately when we launched it, um, and it was the least expected thing, was, was that for Dell, they, they reported that internally, this campaign was, was a massive success. And that was not something that they had anticipated. And I think it's because, like you were mentioning earlier, this allows others to understand what people are doing and why it's important. And in this case, it gave employees an opportunity to talk to their family and their kids on why they were working for a company that was doing something good and something cool and something engaging and something interactive. And, um, and it wasn't written in a press release. It wasn't, didn't have just stock images that you just slapped to it. It was, it was speaking the a kind of a more universal language that people could just look at and go like, what am I looking at? This is cool. And what if we replace annual reports with art installations? <laughs> yes, we, we should all do that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, on that note, you know, you, what they say, all, all artists steal or all great artists steal or whatever it is you're mentioning, all the different things you're borrowing from. Um, I'm curious are there other artists whose work has particularly inspired you with regard to the role of art to bring attention to social issues? Not, not particularly. I mean, I, I didn't start doing art in impact because I thought it was the best way to have an impact. I did impact with art because I just happened to be an artist and that was a skill set I had. And I was like, how can I put this skill to use? I'm actually quite frustrated at being an impact artist with no, no good KPIs by which to measure the value of the work that I do. Um, I find it really frustrating that a lot of the quality of art is dictated by the output rather than the outcomes of what it is, right? People, people want to know where you were published. People want to know what awards you won. People want to know what titles you got. It's like none of that has anything to do with how many people resonated with what you did or what changed as a result of the art piece that you created. And there are no proper systems that are designed. Like, I mean, yes, you can do these really long, tedious, expensive longitudinal studies on whether or not your art has made an impact or not. And there are studies like that that exist that do prove the value of art. But by and large, from like a pure practical perspective, 
the way the world is designed and the way KPIs are measured for marketing campaigns, um, it doesn't really suit what I do. And in addition to, to like make things even more complicated, it's not like I can sell an object, right? Every tool that exists online is like designed to sell a widget to people. And I'm like, I'm trying to get people to stop buying widgets. <laughs> um, and so it's sort of the antithesis of, of everything that capitalism is pushing for that I'm trying to promote. And so that obviously makes it a, a little bit difficult. Um, I personally would love to be on the solution side where I was creating solutions. Um, it's actually something that I've been hoping to do more of late is to kind of align myself with people who are building solutions and to find ways to work together with them. I think the problem is that very often those who are in the solution spaces, the smaller startups, they don't have the budget to waste, quote unquote, on art um, because they need to be a lot more judicious uh, about their money and they need to make sure that whatever it is they put in has a very definitive you know, return on investment. And art is not one of those things that can provide a, um, a very consistent or predictable return on investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe in the marketing budget, but that's, that's an interesting point. Yeah, but then, but then your marketing, there, I think there's a difference between marketing and art. I mean, they, they overlap, obviously, and they can overlap. But, but if you, your, your metric, I think, I think your impact metrics kind of start to transform more often than not. Um, it's, it's not necessarily that they can't coexist, but more often than not, they're actually different. Mm -hmm. You're speaking to a very real challenge and yeah, the issue you raise is, is a hard one, a hard nut to crack. But on that note, so you say you'd love to collaborate more with the solutioneers as we call them sometimes at Upstream. And I imagine maybe that has something to do with your interest in the National Reuse Awards. And one of the questions I'm asking all the judges is, so why did you decide to be a judge on this panel and what motivated you? Yeah. Well, I mean, why not? Um, you know, someone saying, hey, we'd love your opinion to help these people out. And we want you to discover amazing folks doing cool things in a space that you care about. Are you interested? It's like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it. Um, I, I love discovering new things. I love, I'm, I'm naturally curious. And I think it is when you discover others that are also making a difference that you feel a sense of hope and motivation, right? You feel a little bit less lonely. You feel a little mm -hmm. bit less despair. Um, I think it really helps to highlight people like that who are doing great things. And, and you never know when someone, when it might plant a seed for an even better idea. Mm hmm. Yeah. And on that note, well, because you're a judge, so the way this is working is we are getting public votes and we're going to have judges make the final decision. So we don't want our judges to bias too much. So don't name any specific companies or organizations, but we also love to hear what are some of the solutions or sort of general reuse solutions that you've been learning about in your process? Like you say, you do a lot of research for these. Um, what are some of the trends that are exciting you that, that, that this issue is going to get better? feels like everyone is tackling single-use plastics um, and that there are a lot of different initiatives that are happening at the same time at, in different cities with different strategies. And I think it's really interesting to see how many people are trying different things because it makes you feel like at the end of the day, there's going to be a winner. Sooner or later, someone's going to figure this out. And so I think for me, there's just hope that comes out of um, seeing these different 
trends pop up, like for example, takeout food containers in, in a time of COVID, it's like, oh, hey, if someone really manages to figure this out in a way that's deeply compelling to people that they can really buy into, um, if it can help shift us from a culture of disposable to one that is kind of post-disposable where it just becomes normalized to return something um, and, and receive a better experience at the same time, like why not? So I don't know. I'm cautiously optimistic, <laughs> but still I think knowing that at the end of the day, change takes a lot of time, right? We've been building up a disposable culture for the last 20, 30 years, and now we need to reverse that, which is going to be challenging. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. So this is probably a crazy big question, but I want to ask you anyway, because I'm curious where you'll take it. So, um, you know, I've, a lot of our listeners might have some form of creative hobby, or they might not think of themselves as artists, but I believe everybody has some form of creative expression. And um, I like to ask all our judges for their sense of what can people do to be part of this reuse revolution. And I want to ask you specifically, what can people do for those who may or may not see themselves as artists to use their creative side uh, to help amplify the change they want to see in this space? I mean, <laughs> I guess if you think of the word creativity and it, it's really about doing things that no one else is doing, right? Taking, taking a slightly different approach to uh, an existing problem. I think the one thing that we all can do is just take stock of the situation that we find ourselves in and see what is something that we don't like and what is something that we can do about it. Um, there are no shortage of resources online um, where whether you're an entrepreneur, an intrapreneur, uh, someone who is involved with their, their church, their community, or their, their kid's school, there are so many different places that you can start. And, and I think that it is by starting and finding the people that believe in the same thing that you do uh, when you start being able to make change happen that you start believing that change is possible. And so I would say just get started, uh, exert that creativity by looking around you and seeing what's broken and find a solution that appeals to you that you think um, works. I mean, there's when it comes to raising awareness for something, when it comes to creating a movement, it doesn't matter how you do it, whether it's the most extravagant lemonade stand or organizing, uh, you know, a, a walk across the country or whatever. Like there are so many different ways that you can grab attention there. Like people are dying to hear more stories of hope and transformation. There is a hunger for that. Um, I think that there is so much negative news these days that there is just a deep yearning for a positive, um, positive movement. And if you decide to hop on that bandwagon, I think you will be rewarded for it. Mm, that's a great, great answer. Thank you. So before we close, you mentioned you have a big project coming up in October and you probably can't tell us everything about it, but we'd love to hear whatever teasers you can share about your latest work. So this is the one project that I've managed to pull together during the pandemic it's essentially a three-story tall giant faucet with plastic spewing out into different environments. So we took this art installation and we moved it around to a landfill, to a recycling center, to a beach, to a playground, uh, to a container yard, and just trying to address like the different issues where single-use plastics is kind of flowing out of. And it was a campaign designed specifically to bring to life 
the very commonly used phrase in the plastics world, which is like, we need to turn off the plastic tap, right? I think too often we focus on the symptoms of plastic pollution. We don't look at the root cause, but part of the reason of not looking towards the root cause is that we can't see it. We can't visualize it because mm-hmm. it's so large and so amorphous. And I wanted to really tackle that. So on October, October 7th, I think, though the dates may shift a little bit, right before COP26, we're going to be launching this campaign at turnofftheplastictap.com. There's going to be video. We have $10,000 of prizes to, um, to incentivize people to share it, like it, and to remix the art. Um, I'm basically going to be providing cutouts of this giant faucet. Like the Bernie picture from the inauguration. <laughs> Basically like the Bernie picture or, or, you know how like people used to Photoshop the queen's shirt from green to like whatever, that exact same idea. I'm just giving the, the power to the people to use this tap to create a message that resonates with them. And we've asked a a number of different nonprofits who are in this space to provide different calls to actions to help focus the creatives. So different nonprofits like WWF has, they're pushing for a global treaty around plastics. Greenpeace is pushing for a moratorium on plastics uh, with Joe Biden. Uh, Oceanic Global is uh, asking people to perform a plastic audit. So there's so many people doing so many things uh, in the world that are different. And we just wanted to kind of showcase like six, eight, 10 different solutions that are being worked on right now that people can participate in. So that's something that's going to be coming out that I'm really excited um, to, to put out in the world, you can head over to turnofftheplastictap.com or giantplastictap.com to just sign up for updates so that when it launches, you don't miss it and you can be part of a lot of the fun. Awesome. We'll definitely put that in the episode notes along with your website so folks can check it out. And again, highly recommend everybody listening, go look at Ben's stuff. It's amazing. And uh, Ben, it's really been a treat to chat with you. Thank you so much for making the time. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. And that's our show. If you like what you're hearing, help spread the word. Subscribe to the Indisposable podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Add a review. Talk us up. Nobody spreads a message like you. The Indisposable podcast is brought to you by Upstream sparking innovative solutions to plastic pollution, envisioning a world without it, and empowering businesses, communities, and individuals to imagine and co-create this future with us. You can find resources mentioned on today's episode as well as learn more about Upstream's work at www.upstreamsolutions.org. Follow us on social and join the movement. There's a better way than throwaway.